You're listening to the Sunday Messages Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Right now, we're going to open up this word and see what he, God, continues to teach us through these promises that he's made. We're looking at uh, this verse in 2 Timothy 2.13. It's been our memory verse. Let's say it all together one more time. 2 Corinthians 2.13 says, If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful for he cannot deny who he is. He is the faithful God. He is the same God that promised uh, Adam and Eve that there was going to be a serpent crusher that would end death once and for all. That's where we started in this series, that he is the same God that made a way for Noah through the flood, through the ark, and, and saved his family and through his family all generations. He's the same God that blessed Abraham. He gave him a blessing that he was going to be a great nation. He was going to have land and that he was going to have purpose. The same God who met with Jacob, his presence, met with Jacob and said, I will be with you. He wrestled with them the same God that told Joseph that there was a purpose and a plan for his pain. And this morning, we're going to talk about one more purpose. Can we put all those slides, all the, there we go. That's where we've been. And now we're going to look at the life of Moses. We're going to turn the page from the first book of the Bible to the second book of the Bible. We are in the book of Exodus. And it's really interesting as I started studying that Mo, through Moses' life, through the story of Exodus, we actually see all of these promises take place. See, right from the get-go, we read in the first chapter, Exodus 1.8 says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. We have a problem. See, 400 years between Joseph and Moses, for 400 years, the people of God were in Egypt. They uh, planted roots, they grew families, and they grew in number. And the king did not remember that this Israelite named Joseph not only saved their people, the Egyptians, and the people of God, but also the entire world through a global Famine, he forgot, and in fact, not only did he forget, but he saw that they were a threat. And so he enslaved the people of God. That's the beginning of Exodus. He enslaves the people of God and actually commands the Hebrew midwives to throw, uh, to, to kill every newborn baby boy. It says this in Exodus 1 immediately, we see a problem. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua. Again, if you're having a baby girl, you got two great ones right here. Uh, the Bible is full of them. When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. See, they uh, did not fear Pharaoh, they feared God, and they actually allowed life to happen because they were like that serpent crusher. They uh, said no to death. They said yes to life. And so we see Moses come in. Exodus 2, 2 through 3 says this, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Here is our main character, 
Moses. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. See, after the midwives rebelled against Pharaoh, Pharaoh commanded every mom to send their son into the Nile so that they can drown again. He was threatened by the people of God. And he uh, says, but when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. I want you to think about what story do we talk about that had to do with this vessel made out of wood or a tree floating down some water? Anybody? Yeah, it's Noah's Ark. Again, we see Noah's Ark, but in miniature form, carrying this baby boy, Moses. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Literally, the word Moses means out of the water. Uh, just like in baptism, we celebrate old coming into the new through the water. Moses was taken from the water into this Egyptian home where he grew up, but he quickly fell short. He saw an Egyptian man beating an Israelite, and he retaliated and murdered the Egyptian man, thought no one saw it. He was wrong. He was full of shame. And so he did what we do sometimes when we are ashamed. We run away. He ran away from uh, Egypt or in, in that city. He ran away to this land of Midian. And uh, we read this. This is kind of the overview of what's going on in Egypt. Exodus 2, 23 through 24. During those days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning in God. Here we go remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, this promise that God was going to bless them, that God was going to give them a land, that God was going to make them a people, that God was going to give them a purpose, Genesis 12. Now, I want to take a pause because here we see the people of God, the Israelites, under affliction, and uh, you are reading right now in the news that in Israel right now, there is incredible affliction. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted to remind us, here is how we respond. As the people of God now, through his son, Jesus Christ, as his body, his royal priesthood, we are to lift them up in prayer. And scripture commands us three ways, very clearly, that we are to pray for Israel. The first one is blessing. Just like God promised Abraham to bless the whole world, he then says this, bless, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we bless Israel, we pray provision, we pray protection, we ask that God would remain with them. And then we pray for peace. Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we pray peace over this entire escalating conflict. It is atrocious to read and to see the evil that is happening over there right now. And so the people of God, we have an opportunity to just say, Lord, the God of peace, the Prince of peace, we ask for your peace to be upon your place, that incredibly important city, Jerusalem. And then the third is we pray for salvation. I love this prayer that Paul, who was an enemy of God, but then God got a hold of Paul. And now Paul is writing 
to his people. And he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them being the Israelites, is that they may be saved. We pray for salvation to come to Israel. We pray that they would know that the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. And that the blessing that they have was not only for them, but for the whole entire world. But we don't only pray for Israel. We pray for the Palestinians. We pray for Hamas, just like Paul was an enemy of God and came to know Jesus and God used him in powerful ways. We pray for the Pauls, for the Sauls is what his name used to be right now in Palestine and Hamas. Anybody out there, we pray for salvation. Here is what 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness, but instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We pray for the spirit of repentance over Israel, over the Palestinians in Jesus' name so that we can see the kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven until Jesus decides to come back. So important that we know how scripture informs us to pray. And I wanted to highlight again, because this situation increases in conflict and affliction. It happened back then. It is happening right now. Hello, God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we see that this blessing continues. In Exodus 3, 4 through 6, we see that God not only uh, says, hey, I remember my covenant, but then also he draws near. And he shows up in Moses' life, just like he showed up in Jacob's life through his presence. He uh, didn't wrestle Moses like he did Jacob. He lit this bush on fire, caught Moses' attention while he was shepherding his father-in-law's flock. And in verse 4 of chapter 3 of the book of Exodus says that the Lord saw that he turned aside to see and God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Just like Jacob and God wrestled in the dark, and then he relented at night, Moses could not see his face, for he knew that he was in the presence of a holy God, that he was unfaithful in presence of the faithful one, uh, God continues in Exodus 3, 7 through 8. He says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing of milk and honey. He tells him, he, now he's giving him his purpose. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So his purpose was to be used by God in a powerful way. All right, now we're getting into the promise of this morning. Verse uh, 11, he says, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God doesn't say, No, you have what it takes. Uh, he doesn't say, Hey, give it your best shot, and then I'll come and clean up after. What does he say? He says, I will be with you. 
And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you and you have brought the people out of Egypt that you shall serve God on this mountain. See, God says, hey, I'm going to show up in this bush now, but then I'm going to show up on this same mountain and he's going to give them his law. He's going to give them the way to God that whoever follows the law will be blessed and whoever does not follow the law will be cursed. Here's this mountain. This is St. Catherine's Monastery in Egypt, uh, modern day, uh, built in 500 AD. And that is the mountain that God showed up into Moses's life and gave him a purpose. And you may be asking, okay, okay, what is the promise for today? Here we go. Moses again says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses, uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am. He gives him his personal name, that he is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, this name, Yahweh. And say this to the people of Israel, I am, Yahweh has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Do you see the repetition? God continually saying, hey, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. By the way, anytime in our Bibles that we read the Lord in all caps, that is his personal name. That is our English translation for this word, Yahweh. He writes, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, again, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Here we go. And I promise. What is he promising to do? This is our promise. I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. What is this promise? It is the promise of freedom. That we, because of this promise of God, will no longer be slaves. Now here is what happens. They are taken out of slavery into this land. First, they spent, instead of three days, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. They prolong their desert stay. They finally get into that land. And y'all, they're not free. Here's the point of this morning. Freedom is not an external circumstance. Freedom is an internal circumstance. We live in the land of the free, the home of the brave. I love this country where we really are about freedom almost. But anything outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not true freedom. It may get close. It may feel like it at times, but it is not true freedom. What God is promising us, what God promised his people is I'm going to take this affliction from you. And the affliction wasn't only being enslaved in the land of Egypt, but it was being in bondage to sin. You see, in Exodus chapter 15, 
right after God put his mighty hand over the land of Egypt and the plagues happened and Moses raised his staff and the seas parted. You guys know the story. And if you don't, maybe you've seen Cecil DeMille's movie, 1956, uh, The Ten Commandments. If you don't, it's only three hours and 40 minutes long. Why don't you give it a go? Or you can read the book of Exodus for three hours either. Or if you're a fast reader, probably faster than that. I'm getting distracted. Moses led his people out of the land. And you would think, freedom, we made it. The waters crashed over Pharaoh, freedom. Literally, right after Genesis, uh, Exodus 15, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Many of us in the room, we have given our lives to Jesus. We know that we have secured our passage to heaven. We are free, but we're still in bondage internally. We grumble. We complain. We look at our external circumstances and say, God, I thought, I thought this would be different. And we grumble in our hearts and we whine and we complain and we play the victim card. And the reality is, is we are not free. The problem with this country is that we do not have enough people that have been freed by the gospel of Jesus Christ to show the lost what it truly means to be free. What is the hope of this nation? It is the church of God activated by the freedom that Jesus has already paid for. See, what we like to do is we put conditions. God, if, if only you could, then I will. If only you just let me out of Egypt, then I will serve you. Well, again, three-day journey turned into 40 years. Moses, the leader, almost had it right. And he struck a rock, and even he didn't get to go into the promised land. Bondage, slavery, it's not external. It is internal. But thanks be to God, in Christ, we are free. Why? Because he paid the price. He, while we were still sinners, he died for us. We did not love God first. He first loved us. In Romans 6, 18, he says this, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. See, we, we love talking about the first part. I am free. Uh, I'm fully forgiven. I, I, I'm, I'm good. But we need to hold on to the second one. And that's where I want to spend the rest of this morning talking about what does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? What does it truly mean to walk in the freedom that Jesus has purchased for us? For that, we turn to the book of Galatians which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And uh, they had a sin problem. They had a bondage problem. They were still trying to abide by the law. See, Moses delivered 10 commandments to the people of God. And then those 10 commandments turned into 600 or so commandments. They couldn't keep 10. They sure as heck couldn't keep 600. Neither can you nor I. See, we can't even follow one. That first command, hey, don't eat from the fruit of that tree, Adam and Eve. Just trust me and follow 
my will. What do we do? We say, no, God, I'm going to choose my own way. Uh, you're withholding from me. If I give my life to you, it won't be any fun. If, if I truly choose to follow you, Jesus, I won't be able to do all these things. I want to be free from any sort of oppression. My friends, there is no such thing. Either we are slaves to sin or we are slaves to God to his righteousness, according to what Romans 6, 18. In the book of Galatians, right from the get-go in chapter two, Paul writes this, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. So quickly, we have the commandments. Jesus was the only one that followed all of the commandments. He did that for us so that we didn't have to. So that we, so that this walk, this journey of following Jesus wouldn't be a list of rules or to-dos, but that we would be set free, live for God. And then in verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He is saving, Paul is saving the people from works-based religion, from trying to earn your way to God. He's saying, no, identify with the cross is the first way to walk in freedom. Identify with the cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow the risen savior, Jesus Christ. Identify with his death by laying down your life. When two become one here on the stage, when we celebrate a wedding covenant, that is what is happening. You lay down your individual lives so that you can start a new life together. It is the same with Jesus. We lay down our old lives and we say, nope, I'm now a new creation in Christ. I'm going to follow Jesus no longer. I who live, but Christ lives in me. Right now, the world says, if you want to be free, do whatever you want. Be whoever you want to be, whatever you're feeling, that is capital T truth with Jesus. That's not the way. With Jesus is I lay down my life and whatever he says is true, no matter how I feel. He loves me. He saw the people that were in affliction in Egypt. He sees and he knows your suffering this morning. Our ego is no longer central. We lay down, we lay it down so that we can be free and live for Jesus. In Galatians 5.1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So Jesus set us free so that we can have freedom. And then he says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We need to stand firm. If we want to walk in freedom, we need to stand firm in the grace of God and the truth of God. It's both and. Some of us stand firm, really firmly in grace, and we still are living the way that we want to live. We need to go to the truth. What is God saying about this area of my life? What is God wanting me to decide in this one circumstance? We want to follow him and stand firm in what he says. In uh, Galatians 5, 7 through 10, Paul says, hey, you're doing a good job. You're, you're running a good race or at least you were. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. He's calling out the line cutters. 
Anybody else can't stand when someone cuts the line? I've been waiting. Hey, wait, I'm waiting. He is saying, hey, there are people that have cut in. There are people that have hurt your walk with Jesus. Two things here. One, beware of line cutters. Beware of those that cut in and start saying things differently than what the word of God says. The truth is, is that we are, we become who we are around. We become who we are around. Whoever we surround ourselves with, that is who we become like. Some, sometimes we think, no, this is a solo sport. I have my faith. I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I'm just going to follow him. Man, it is so important to surround ourselves with graceful and truthful people. Here's the second thing. We need to not cut in front of people. We need to make sure that we're not adding to the law, but we are being grace in people's life. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about making legalism a thing. We, we, we are free and we need to keep freedom, the freedom that we have in Christ at the center. Verse nine says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. I started uh, demoing my bathroom yesterday, not by choice. We had a leak. A tank started a slow leak. And uh, when the water mediation uh, folks, actually someone from our church came and helped tremendously, he said that this leak has been going on for over a year, maybe even longer years. But the, re the reason why we didn't notice it is because it was a slow leak that went from the tank into this crevice in the laminate. And it crept under the laminate all throughout our bathroom, all throughout the master, even externally into the outside of the house. Why do I mention this? The little sense are what keeps us from freedom. And if you want to know how a small piece of yeast penetrates the dough, it's time. Time. There are areas in our life that we need to be quick to confess. Sin that we need to be quick to come to someone and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help. I just need to live in the light. I need to put it out there. Here's the thing. When we put it in the light, it's gone. <laughs> There's no way the enemy can grab a hold of us now because it's already out there. Shameless plug, men's encounter coming up. That is what we do. Here's the last point. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. I love this. So don't just say, because I am free, because God will forgive me, I'm gonna live however I want. You're not actually living as a free person, you're being in bondage by your sin because it's not the same cause. And so he says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Here we go, it goes 600 laws, going back to one. Just love the person next to you as yourself, as you wanna be loved. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Why is this so important? Because it gets us out of ourself. I was moving a, a ladder yesterday and I didn't realize that there was a crowbar at the top. 
crowbar fell, thankfully not on my head, but on my leg. And uh, some of my community group friends were there and uh, one of them just so happens to be an ER, ER doc. And so he said, hey, you're gonna need a stitch for that. And I'm like, oh man, we're getting through this. I don't wanna stop now, I wanna get this done. I gotta preach tomorrow. You know what he did? Put me in his truck, brought me to his living room, right there in his dining table with his kids watching. He just stitched me right up, washed my feet while he was at it too. That's what community does. That's what happens when we live outward focused lives. See, what our sin wants us to do is it wants to cripple us, think that we're the only ones going through this. That's what shame does. And Christ died for that so that we can be people on fire, living freely for Jesus. And so when destruction comes, we can be about restoration in people's lives. We can spill over into our communities, into our families, and we can see them be set free by the one who paid the price for us. If you're able, please stand with me as we close. Maybe this morning, the way that you, the way that God's calling you to respond is to come up front. You can kneel here and just ask for God's forgiveness. But James 5, 16 also says that when we confess our sins to one another, we are healed. We're forgiven by God, but he wants us to heal, to be a part of the healing process with each other. And so there's gonna be people here to my left, to my right, and they're available to pray with you. I encourage you, if God is moving in you, come forward, come ask for prayer. Maybe go to the gap after this gathering and ask for prayer. Don't leave here without doing the business that God wants you to do with him. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that whoever the sun sets free is free indeed that we have freedom, not because of anything that we can do inside. We have grumbling, sinful flesh. But Lord, you have given us a way out. And that is through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus. That whoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you for the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. Freedom to live freedom to walk as we go throughout our day, no matter what the external circumstance, we have an internal circumstance called freedom. So I pray that we would not leave without responding to you, coming up for prayer, maybe giving our life to you. Romans 10.10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, that he's been raised from the dead, we will be saved. And if you are ready, something was said this morning that you're ready to give your life over to Christ, I encourage you to repeat these words after me and say, Jesus, this morning, give my life over to you because you gave your life up for me. And thanks to your life, death, and resurrection, I am free. I choose to follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.